until pastors pray with other pastors, we are limiting what God can do. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast, a nationwide call for spiritual awakening. The goal, accelerating the movement of God through sharing revival truth, stories, and reports. And now, your hosts, Bill Eliff and Kyle Reno. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast, and uh, we're so thrilled. I'm Bill Eliff, and this is Kyle Reno, and we're just honored to be co-hosting this week by week. And uh, Kyle, we've been talking about a lot of things that are primary responses to revival, uh, humility, honesty, repentance, Mm -hmm. uh, forgiveness, and the Word of God. And today we come to uh, maybe one of the things that's most foundational, just the prayer and its role in revival and spiritual awakening. Yeah. Yeah, I think about, obviously, every one of those things are equally important right. and non-negotiables inside of it. But, man, you just see that prayer has this part. It's it's the match that's waiting for the fire, you mm-hmm. know, is, is going to ignite at mm-hmm. some point if we engage with God in prayer the way that He intended. So I, I would love to just take a few minutes and, and show you some things I see in Scripture. And I find it much easier to, to preach about praying than actually pray. <laughs> and I think all of us do. I think I, I don't, I've never met a sincere cross follower and for sure a pastor or probably a church as a whole that doesn't see a prayer in Scripture. Or if you start talking about revival, don't realize that prayer has a very primary part to play inside of it. But but as it pertains to the desire for revival, how should we see prayer? And so I, I just want to be encouraging to you. I mean, I, as I was studying and thinking about this episode and thinking about you, uh, the listener specifically, I, I just want to give you two practical uh, encouragements, uh, Lord, to really just look at you and say, I hope the Lord does this in you and in me. And here's here's the first one. As it pertains to revival, the desire for it in your life and in your church and in your city to make up your mind to do this, to surrender to pray until it happens. To surrender to pray until it happens. Like we, I think we know we need revival. If we don't know that yet, we need to come to that knowledge real quick that we need it. And, and I hope that we want it. But I think we also got to make up our mind that we're going to pray until it comes. And it reminds, that kind of thought around prayer reminds me of a parable that Jesus uh, shared. And here's Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. We'll read the text and just going to briefly unpack it. It says, He told them, speaking of Jesus, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, and He gives them the parable, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I'm going to try not to preach at you uh, for a minute, but really just talk to you about this. I, I think parables are pictures. 
that Jesus is trying to share a story and show us something. He's given us this story that we could see, and the whole point of this parable is prayer. It's about prayer and how to pray, and he's unpacking prayer in a powerful way. And the whole purpose, if you got to the, the primary purpose of this parable, is this, that we ought always to pray and to not lose heart. Let me tell you, Jesus knows everything, so he knows something about prayer that we need to come to know. That prayer is easy uh, to start, but it's also easy to stop. It's easy to start, but it's also easy to stop. I mean, it's easy to start praying for something, but stop praying for that something before it comes into being. And it's also something that's easy to lose heart in. You ever had that thing that you prayed for for a while and it didn't, it didn't play out? You ever got discouraged in prayer? Now, let's talk honest for a second. Like, you're, you, you're praying for something to happen, and it just doesn't seem to happen yet. And I know that there's God's sovereignty, and there's moments that we trust and we endure and all those things. But I have found a lot of times that people's prayer life dies along the way. And so Jesus is telling us a parable with the purpose that we ought always to pray and to not lose heart. And then in that parable, he gives us three characters. This is very interesting how God knows how to communicate to his kids. He gives us the judge who, let's just be honest, is an awful human being. I mean, he's just a bad guy. It says a lot of things about him that he doesn't really care about people. He doesn't fear God, so he doesn't have a reverence or really doesn't have a right moral compass. So you got a very bad judge. This is not the guy you want to land behind, you know, in the courtroom with you. Then you have a widow woman, and I'm going to talk about her in a second. And you have an adversary. Let me tell you what it doesn't tell us, and I think God does this on purpose. It doesn't tell us how the adversary is evoking pain or is opposing this widow woman. It just says that there is one in this. And then that right there in the middle is this widow woman. And, and I think, why in the, in the world did the Lord decide to put a widow woman in this parable about prayer? Because he wants us to see ourselves. As it pertains to our prayer life, the Lord Jesus wants to, us to see ourselves spiritually as that widow. Now, being a dude, that's a hard thing to do sometimes. But you got to get past like the practical implications of a widow in this world and see it spiritually. What does a, a, a physical, like literal widow need? Well, the scripture is pretty clear about how to treat a widow and how the, how the church even cares for a widow. Well, a widow needs at least two things. And I think these two things pertain to prayer, prayer specifically. A widow oftentimes needs someone to just stand with them. A widow needs to not be alone. A widow needs family. A, a, a widow needs closeness. And the second thing a widow needs, so not alone is the first thing, to not be alone. The second thing a widow needs is for someone to stand on behalf of them. The, a widow needs someone with authority. Someone to authority to stand on their behalf. So I want you to hear that now and think about prayer for a second. It gives us, he gives us in this parable, this landscape there. So here's, here's a widow that needs, needs to not be alone against this adversary, needs somebody with authority, and then you have the adversary. We don't know what that adversary was doing toward this widow woman, but we know she, he, he was doing something, or she was doing something. They're opposing. And, and I just want to remind us something, because this parable is painting a spiritual picture. Hear me now. Hear me. You have an adversary. 
that is roaring, that's, that's, that's like a lion seeking someone to devour. And I, I think, honestly, a lot of times that we don't see prayer uh, and are not as passionate about prayer because we don't have right perspective about our adversary, that you can't make it alone, that I can't make it alone, that we need someone who has authority to stand on our behalf. And then in this parable, we see this persistence in this, in this widow who keeps coming to this bad judge who's just a bad human being and keeps crying out for someone to, to give justice on our behalf. And then I think, that, I think Jesus is hysterical, honestly, in how he even paints this picture of the judge. And even though the judge doesn't come to like a right view of God, even though this bad judge doesn't come to even a care and compassion for this woman, but just out of merely beating, being beat down by her request, he finally gives in and says, all right, I'm, I'm going to move on your behalf. So then Jesus leans over and, and like stops the parable abruptly and says, okay, if that's true in that parable, Basically this, if a bad judge would do that on behalf of a woman he doesn't even care for, how much more so will a good father move on behalf of his children? Think about that. How much more so? And then he does it like, like play it down. He plays it up. How much does he move on behalf of those who cry out to him both day and night? So I just, just to talk to you for a second about the role of prayer and revival. If you show me a revival in history, I'll show you a people that were praying persistently before. I'll show you. I'll show you a cry. I can take you there. We can go back. If we move back in time, you will find someone praying somewhere. You'll hear a cry of intercession that God has moved in the hearts of, of some group of people to pray until the Lord moves. And so I, I would just say to us, I'm saying to myself even now, will we surrender to pray until revival comes, until a real move of God comes in our life personally, and, and, until, listen, does anybody look at the landscape of our land right now, and can you see the adversary out there that's, like, that's trying to devour the next generation, that's trying to just wreak cultural chaos? Anyone else feel like we need someone to move on our behalf who has authority? Anyone else think we need Yahweh to come to town? For God to show up and for truth to reign and justice to reign again. And tell you what I love now. It says, and this seems like it's conflicts. They cried out both day and night, and then the Lord moved speedily. Well, if you've been crying out for day and night for a long time for something to happen, that doesn't seem speedily. It seems like all of a sudden. What I, and I think the Lord knows and that we need to understand about prayer, that while we wait in prayer, while we keep coming in persistence, you won't have to wonder when God moves, you'll know. Because when God responds, the whole world will see. And I think that's what happens when revival comes. When people, it's like, well, Lord, we need you, we want you, we desire you, we're begging for these things to happen. We're experiencing your presence personally, but we need so much more than that. We need a manifestation of the Spirit's power. And then when it happens, you go, that's what we're praying for. That's what we needed. And we tell you what's crazy about this parable. So there's these different parts. Jesus says all those things, makes a promise to us if we'll in the same manner persistently pray. And then he asks us a question. Then he, I, think he, I think he's asking us a question even now. I think he's asking you a question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
That's a wild question. And, and this kind of faith, he's not talking about a saving faith. This is praying faith. This whole parable is about prayer. So I think what the Lord is saying, if revival were to come to your town, and I pray it does, if revival were to come to America or to some other nation, would, would the coming of Christ in revival and a powerful movement, would it meet your prayer of faith? Meaning, like, would you be ready for it? Would you be ready for it? Another way to look at that is, too, is like, hey, when the end comes. Because the only thing that makes sense in our prayer life that when Jesus unfolds the kingdom come and he comes riding in as king forever, the eternal rule and reign of God, the only kind of praying that makes sense is faith-filled praying. That, that a faith-filled prayer meets a returning king. Now, I look forward to his ultimate return and long for it more and more. But I'm going to tell you what I know we need is a revivalistic move of God, the movement of God here and now. And our part is to pray in faith toward it. So I would ask you, we've talked a lot about revival thus far in these podcasts. This is the last of our seven responses. Are we surrendered to pray until it happens? Until it happens. Man, I'm sitting with a guy right here that's prayed for decades for it. I mean, my faith is so full that a move of God is coming because of the prayers of men and women that preceded me. You know, that, that's been that's been in a bowl in heaven, mounting up. And we've seen churches that are experiencing mercy drops of it even now, and we're hoping to see that in scope and sequence just multiply. But the question today for, for you and I is, will we pray our part? Will you pray your part? Because I think, I think the Lord is coming. Amen. And I think we see evidence of it everywhere right. around us. You know, Matthew Henry uh, the Puritan said, when God intends great mercy on his people, mm-hmm. he always sets his people a praying. Wow. And, and Kyle, uh, I wish we had time to just report mm-hmm. all of what it, we don't know, right. but the Lord knows. But there are millions of people praying. Right. And we want you to listen in to an interview with one of our dear friends yeah. who uh, God has done a real work uh, in this in his own life, his own church, own city. Yeah. And uh, really, uh, other churches that he's affecting. So, uh, listen to this uh, testimony. Well, I couldn't be more excited to have my dear friend Kai Bowman uh, joining us on the podcast today. And Kai is the uh, longtime pastor at Hyde Park Church in Austin, Texas, a great uh, church. Kai, you've been there how many? How many years? Well, we are in our 25th year, actually. Wow, that's amazing. You've kind of broken all church pastor records with that. And, uh, and uh, one of the beautiful things about Kai is uh, his deep passion for revival and awakening and, and particularly for prayer. And uh, Kai, we just want to uh, probe your heart and history a little bit about that because we really believe you've got something to share with us today. Uh, tell us how, how did you get interested? There's a lot of people who aren't interested in praying, period, uh, very much. Uh, and, but you have had a long time uh, uh, interest and involvement with just personal prayer. How, where did that get started for you? Thanks, Bill. Number one, thank you. I love you and appreciate you and one cry. And I'm thrilled to be part of your podcast. I've, I've been watching the podcast. I'm glad you started it. Uh, 
I appreciate, I want to share a little bit of my testimony that is all related to your question. Uh, I came to Christ. I'm from Fairbanks, Alaska, as you know. And when I was uh, a young man, a young teenager, the Jesus movement touched down miraculously and spontaneously in, of all places, Fairbanks, Alaska. Wow. And uh, it was so spontaneous. Of course, we had no idea anything like that was even happening anywhere else. But when it happened uh, in my high school, it was undeniable. So I came to Christ in that culture. Uh, didn't come to Christ directly as a result of it, but I came to Christ in the midst of it. And in those days, uh, passionate prayer, uh, street evangelism, and Bible study were just the hallmarks of that movement. And that's kind of the incubator out of which I came. So uh, right from the very beginning, Bill, and this has been, you know, a few decades ago now, uh, I was 19 and uh, headed off for college and you know, my desire for prayer really boils down to the fact of how much I needed God in my life. Mm -hmm. And from the very beginning, uh, I just had a desire to learn to pray. And I um, picked up a couple of books early on. Uh, one revolutionized my life, shook me to the core. And that's Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. Wow. Somebody yeah. put that book in my hands. My life was changed immediately. And still to this day, it's, it's just, it is a book I go back to on a regular basis. Uh, a little later after that, I happened to pick up Dick Eastman's book, The Hour That Changes the World, uh, in which uh, I learned that you can give some structure and, and really approach prayer as a discipline. And uh, I also was surrounded in those days by other young guys who had come out of the Jesus movement. And we were just burning up for street evangelism, prayer meetings. And we had many frequent all night prayer meetings or three, four hour prayer meetings. And we didn't know what we were doing, but we were, we were after it. And, um, and so my passion for personal prayer started 40 plus years ago. Wow. And, um, uh, you know, and I would just say in recent, more recent years, I've become much more focused on reproducing that passion in a kind of organized way, helping other people really catch the a vision for prayer. Yeah, you know, uh, it's so my heart honestly just leaps when you start talking about the Jesus movement, because you and I were both uh, in that in the early 70s yep. and it's just you can't describe yeah. the almost atmospheric yeah. uh, environment and uh, everybody was just that that came to Christ or was uh, revived during that time you just prayed you prayed about everything you prayed all the time you prayed with others there was just a movement uh, across the nation and of course that's what spiritual awakening uh, does that you can't accomplish in any other way. And, and I know like you, I'm so grateful for those roots because it, you get the taste of that, yeah. of the reality of God in your mouth and you just, you just never get over it. Yeah. Uh, and I know uh, you went to seminary and then began pastoring and, mm -hmm. and then 25 years ago came to a wonderful church, Hyde Park church in Austin, a 
a great historic church. And uh, if you're like me as a pastor, I, I've had this amazing discovery. Not everybody in your church wants to pray <laughs> or pray together. And but you, the Lord has used you to build a wonderful ministry, a culture, I would say, of prayer in the church. And I, I think pastors and leaders who are listening to this podcast want to know how to do that. Yeah. You know, so give us some tips on on uh, how that was accomplished, how that's being accomplished at Hyde Park and and uh, and and, you know, how they can do that, too. Well, the first thing I would say is there's no there's no simple formula. Uh, for changing the culture you're in, especially when you're in a large church. Uh, I kept reading books like Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire and other things where small churches, the pastor got on fire for prayer and great things happened. So I started asking myself, what would happen if a large church got on fire for prayer and tried to shift the culture to a house of prayer? And, uh, you know, I frequently say, that leading a house of prayer is like driving your car. You better keep your hands on the steering wheel at all times, because if you ever take any of it for granted, there's no telling what can happen, but it requires a discipline. And so I would say, Bill, about 12 or so years ago, for no, ex I don't have a reason for it, uh, other than just, you know, uh, I had come to a place in my life and ministry where, I really had a passion that I think was implanted in my soul by the spirit of God and not to sound too super spiritual, uh, that just, I needed to lead the church to be a house of prayer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, let me say two things about that. Number one, and I don't mean this in any kind of vain way. It's a testimony. So many people over the years had said to me, uh, you know, Kai, you've taught me so much about prayer. And that was more by accident than it was by design. That was because of preaching, teaching, different events that I would try to lead. But I got to thinking there's been no organized effort on my part to really harness the, you know, the power of a church and the force of a church and the culture of a church. And so the second thing I would say is uh, I had no idea what I was talking about when I said I want to be a house of prayer. Mm -hmm. Quite honestly, in all uh, candor. I knew who Jim Cimbala was, but I didn't know about his prayer ministry. I knew about his choir. Mm -hmm. So as I began to, you know, fumble my way through in the leadership process of, of trying to lead my church to be a house of prayer, somebody who knew what I was attempting to do gave me a call and said, you need to, you need to go to Brooklyn. And mm -hmm. so I did. And, uh, you know, I, when I went to one of those Tuesday night prayer meetings, uh, I, I felt like I was back in the Jesus movement. You know, the spirit yeah. of God was so powerful. And, and uh, I said, this is it. I mean, this is, this is what I would spend the rest of my life doing, leading this mm -hmm. kind of, you know, church. So, you know, we were not that kind of church. And, and you know, in all candor, we're never going to be exactly that kind of church. But that gave me some framework. You know, once you see it done somewhere, then you can sort of say, how can I tailor this to my own context? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we, we've worked at it. We're still working at it. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, as I say, we, I don't pretend that we've arrived, but I've but I think if you grabbed any one of our members of our church and said, what's your church all about? Probably most of them eventually would get around to saying, we're a house of prayer. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, my determination to focus in that direction. You know, you, you do what you want to do, right? Everybody does about everything. And so if it becomes a value to you, you're going to find a way and, and that rubs off on your people and, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, when I visited Simbless Church on one of those Tuesday nights and, and we had a chance to visit with him, a group of pastors, one of the things, there's tremendous spontaneity. I mean, if you know Simbola, that's, that's, uh, that's there, but there is structure. Yeah. I mean, they pass out prayer cards that have come in from all over the world and you pray over those prayer requests and there's music and there's worship and, and uh, so uh, it's not just uh, you get in a room and see what happens. And I think it illustrates, and, and you're illustrating one thing, prayer has to be led. Yeah. Uh, congregational prayer really needs to be led, and it needs to be led well. And I, I tell people sometimes, pastors, if you don't know how to lead prayer, then learn. Right. <laughs> Find men who are doing it, read books. Uh, you know, Daniel Henderson has a tremendous number of books about leading congregational prayer. And uh, and so it's just beautiful what's happened uh, there. And I've been in one of your prayer meetings and it was a real precious night. It was a great uh, night when you were here, that's for sure. And let me just add one more thing, because your question was about how can others do it? And mm -hmm. I would say that it is the the the. The thing that I would say is, number one, it has got to be the passion of the pastor, not just, and not just a side deal. There's got to be a passion. And, uh, you know, you have that passion. Uh, Michael Catt has that passion. Uh, Ronnie Floyd has that passion. We know a dozen other guys we could name uh, with that passion. And uh, once the pastor is captured by the Spirit of God with the passion for prayer, then he'll find a way and, you know, go to Summit Church, go to, you know, go to somewhere where it's happening, go to, you know, Long Hollow, go check it out online, do whatever you have to do and learn what others are doing. As you say, read, but you can't make it a, a part of your ministry and expect God to really bless it the way the way that can happen if you say, this is what we're doing. Yeah. We're a house of prayer, whatever it means, whatever it costs, that's the direction we're going. And, uh, and it's foundational, isn't it? I mean, it's not, like you say, it's not a side room. It's part of the deal. Foundation for everything. And everything kind of comes out of the fact that we are actually communicating with the head of the church, Amen. Uh, which is so critical. Now, we've got just a few more minutes, and Kai, I don't want to leave without uh, you talking to us a bit about city movements of prayer, sure. because I know in Austin, uh, there's been a, a significant movement for many years, and there are two or three streams of that, yeah. and, and you and Trey Kent, I know, kind of lead one of those streams. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's one of the great keys to seeing the church in the city mobilized to 
to cry out to God and could lead to revival and awakening. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that, well, this is a whole nother conversation until pastors pray with other pastors, we are limiting what God can do. Amen. Uh, I had never really done it, but several years ago, as I was fumbling along, trying to figure out how to lead this operation, this big behemoth into being a house of prayer uh, and facing a little bit of resistance, nothing too serious, but you know, there are those, as you say, that just don't want to do it. Uh, simultaneously, God was moving in Trey Kent's life to do the same thing. He's a pastor in Austin across town, but I didn't know Trey. And, uh, uh, but it was, it was a simultaneous thing. God was stirring in me. God was stirring in him. And uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend who recognized that we had this sort of twin passion. And imme immediately when I met Trey, I mean, instantly I knew I was with a kindred spirit. I was with a brother. And we became really close friends. Uh, and um, he had already kind of started the unceasing prayer movement. And uh, quick story, our city was in a major historic drought. Uh, Austin gets its water supply from a huge lake, one of the largest lakes in Texas. And it was going dry, literally. And we had been in a multi-year drought. And all of the computer models showed that we were headed for a dust bowl. Wow. So quick story, uh, we had a prayer meeting here at our church. A thousand believers showed up from all over the city and we prayed for rain. Mm. The local news picked up on it. They thought it was like we were a bunch of, you know, I guess fools. And they were sort of making fun of it. But they were telling that we were having this prayer meeting for rain. Mm. And uh, that was on a Thursday night. It was a phenomenal prayer meeting. One of the best I'd ever been in. Great, great spirit. We prayed for two hours, and uh, that weekend, we had flash floods in Austin. It made national news, and it didn't stop raining until the, uh, you know, it was crazy. I mean, it was a nature miracle, nothing short of a nature miracle. It took, you know, months for it to fill up, but the rain was so, uh, so much. I mean, Everybody in my church was saying, Pastor, could you pray it would stop raining? Because we were having but rain. It was like we were living in Seattle all of a sudden or whatever. But the lake filled back up and, uh, you know, it was nothing short of a miracle. Now, that's just one example. But we had now COVID has disrupted our our rhythm, but we're still moving forward. And we've got so many stories that we could tell. I know we don't have time, but as you know, uh, Trey and I wrote the book City of Prayer uh, to try to capture a, a moment of, you know, what it was all about and what's happening and what is continuing to happen. And then we try to talk a little bit about how that can be reproduced. But the key is uh, two things. There are two rooms of prayer in the New Testament. There's the inner room that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, which we all get into early every morning seek the face of God, couldn't live without it. But unfortunately, Bill, as you know, most Christians stop at the inner room, right. secret, private prayer. And if they pray at all, that's the extent of their prayer, which, you know, thank God for it. I mean, Jesus told us to do it. I love it. I do it every morning. But the upper room of Acts chapter one and two is really the New Testament model. 
You've yeah. got to have the inner room to motivate your own soul and get you in contact with God. But you got to have the upper room, which is a congregational model, to mobilize the church and mobilize the city. So our city is definitely part of a larger prayer movement that's all over you know, the world. And God has chosen Austin, Texas as an epicenter city for what he's doing. We don't know how to explain it. We don't exactly know how to bottle it and, you know, send it out. Mm -hmm. But it begins when the spirit of God touches the heart of leaders like mm -hmm. Trey and many others I could mention. And he drew me into it. It's a sovereign work of God, but we have to be fully committed. And I would just say, you know, I know without any shadow of a doubt that the rest of my life is committed to the prayer movement, yeah. uh, however that might lead. And Trey would tell you the same thing about, you know, his life and ministry. And it takes that kind of commitment, really, to lead a city movement. You know, I, I don't think anybody would think of it this way initially about themselves or any pastor. But it really is a mark of pride uh, to think that we don't need each other. Oh. And, and that there's not one church in that city. Now we have differences. Yeah. And I know in movements like this, we've got a similar movement in Little Rock. Uh, we just decided to prioritize our differences a little bit yeah. on peripheral theological things. Uh, but we love Jesus and we, we uh, value his word. And we know that we're in a desperate moment that, that calls for desperate measures and crying out to the Lord and crying out together, a united cry. Absolutely. And uh, well, Kai, I'm so grateful you could take some time with us today. So helpful. In a room, up a room. What a, what a beautiful thought. And you mentioned this book that you and Trey uh, wrote, and uh, I want you to mention the title one more time. Sure. It's City of Prayer. City of Prayer. City of Prayer. And it's a, a, it's a testimony of what God has done. But it's also, we tried to blueprint a little bit about how you can do it, you know, at home. Yeah. And, uh, prayer yeah. shop is yeah. the publisher, and they're, they're a great, no matter if you get our book or not, everybody listening ought to be checking out prayer shop. Prayer shop, yeah. On a pretty regular and you can get that on Amazon, too. Um, Amazon. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, thank you so much. And, uh, well, we love you, Kai. And, and you, may the Lord prosper your your continued work there in Austin and really around the nation. And uh, would you just take just a moment and pray for everybody that's listening uh, that God would help develop this discipline of the inner room and the upper room. Amen. Father, thank you for Bill. God bless him and let these days ahead be greater than all the days behind. God, I praise you for one cry and all of its ministry and everyone who may be listening right now from those who are deeply committed to the prayer movement and could be teachers uh, in their own right, but also and especially for those younger leaders and uh, perhaps not so young who are desperate for something different than the status quo. Lord, I pray that you'd put that same fire in the souls of men and women and uh, pastors and staff members and prayer leaders in their church. God, what we need is fire in our soul because 
Lord, once you place that fire in us, uh, that fire will find a way. And uh, these leaders will be raised up. So God put an anointing upon the listeners and viewers today and a passion. And Lord, I pray that we would have a persistence because none of this happens quickly or easily, but it calls for everything that we've got. And it's so easy to give everything to you when we know that you are blessing it, you're touching our lives, you're willing to fellowship with us, and we meet so many good brothers and sisters in this movement that can mentor us and walk along with us. Lord, we thank you for this time and all that you're going to do because of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what a great word, and it's so exciting. I just think we're going to see, and it's one, one of the reasons we started this podcast mm-hmm. is so we could report on the growing tsunami of prayer and revival that's happening in our nation. Yeah. And, uh, and we want we want to, as always, pray about our praying. Yeah. <laughs> so let's take a minute, and we want you to join with us. And mm-hmm. right now, uh, let's just pray. Uh, about a revival of prayer that would happen across our nation. Why don't you begin us, Kyle? Lord, teach us how to pray. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lord, give us a persistence in prayer. Lord, this we see in this widow woman, in this parable, that Jesus, when you're trying to teach us about praying, you showed us the heart of this woman, this widow woman, that wouldn't give up, that just Mm -hmm. kept coming time after time, day after day, to someone that she knew that could move on her behalf. And so, Lord, we come to you. Today, mm-hmm. we come to you and know that you can and know that you desire to. And, and, and Lord, that, that you are going to move, that you're mm-hmm. going to move. The question is, are we going to come? Yes. The question is, are we going to keep coming after mm-hmm. you? And I pray that you would find us a people that will. Mm-hmm. God, I, I pray that you would find us a people that will pray when we don't feel like praying. Pray when mm-hmm. it's hard to pray. God, pray when you seem distant, uh, mm-hmm. Lord, but we would pray based off faith and off the truth of your word. Mm-hmm. And so, God, I pray for every listener here, God, for pastors and churches uh, all across our nation and world. Lord, I pray that you would set in us a fire to pray mm-hmm. like it matters. God, pray until you come. God, That's until right. a movement of God starts all over, Lord, and then we'd keep praying to sustain mm-hmm. it, God, and then we'd pray for the next wave of it, Lord Jesus, and mm-hmm. and, and Lord, we just believe you mm-hmm. to the fullest, God, so teach us how to pray. And Lord, uh, we we read stories, and we know this in our own experience of of people who are praying, and along the way, Lord, they they get your mind. Mm-hmm. They they their heart starts beating in unison. And so when you your wind begins to blow, they they know it and they cooperate with it. And Father, we think of others. Uh, Lord, every revival movement in our nation's history mm. has been opposed by mm. some people. Mm. And we think these are people who are just not in tune. They haven't been praying. They haven't been reading mm. the Word, and they don't understand and misinterpret what's happening, and, and can literally oppose the work of God. Mm. So, God, we, we don't want to be there. We want to be just <laughs> snuggled up close to you, Lord, so that our, our ear and our head is leaning against your chest and we hear your heartbeat. 
and and we are uh, quickly available for your use mm. in revival and awakening. So, Lord, teach us how to pray, but teach us to pray yes, and not to give up, not to faint. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what a critical word, Kyle, today. I mean, I just, you know, we, we, we come through these podcasts and 30 minutes goes by, but it is so critical mm-hmm. that we pray and not faint. Yeah. And uh, we want to encourage you because we're going to be talking about these things a lot, these mm-hmm. recurring themes, uh, to just stay with us in these podcasts week by week. Mm-hmm. Uh, share them with others. Go on and subscribe to the podcast, mm-hmm. whatever platform you're using. Go on to our uh, website, onecry.com, and you can get more material. And, and um, we are featuring a book called One Cry, a nationwide call for spiritual awakening that we've written that will help you understand the ways of God mm-hmm. and even understand how to pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's material in there that will help you. And uh, we just ask that you join with us as we pray and join you yeah. in crying out and just never giving up mm-hmm. until it happens. Amen. That's our prayer. That's right. And uh, in Jesus' name, we ask that. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you for joining us. 